Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Vashti Livingston. Hello, this is Vashti Livingston. I'm your moderator. This podcast, which is part of the Ostomy Observations podcast series, a six-part series that is included in the Educating Today for Exceptional Outcomes Tomorrow program. Both the podcast series and the Educating Today for Exceptional Outcomes Tomorrow program are commercially supported through an educational grant from Hollister Incorporated. For additional information, please visit wcn.org slash exceptional outcomes. The WCN Society does not endorse or support products or services. Our topic today is Ostomy Support Your Way, more options now than ever before. And our speaker is Stephanie Yates. Good day, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. It's so great to join you to speak about this topic. This is great. And could you just let our listeners know the relevance of this topic to you and give us some background? Sure. It's so interesting that I was invited to speak about ostomy support groups because actually the establishment of the first WOC or ET, interstomal therapy back in the day, nurse position in my area was at the insistence of the very well-established local ostomy support group. They had read in the UOAA literature that there were nurses who specialized in the care of patients with ostomies, and they wanted one in their community. They actually lobbied all three of the hospitals in my area for a nurse position, and the hospital where I work agreed. Now, this was back in the early 80s when payment for health care was very different, and I was chosen to fill that position. I went to the ET nursing program at Emory back in the day, and I have practiced WOC nursing now for 42 years and have just recently retired. And I've been involved with that group ever since. So you'll notice that I said the word involved because I was never the designated leader of the group. I came in, they were already established and going strong. I often helped with programs or speakers for their meeting. I contributed sometimes to the newsletter, but not on any consistent basis. And that group has always maintained very strong leadership of people who have an ostomy. This group, I'm going to use it as we talk today as my sort of personal exemplar and Note that they still closely operate in alignment with the United Ostomy Associations of America, formerly with the UOA, which was the United Ostomy Association that was the original organization that evolved into the UOAA. Now, I also kind of gleaned a little bit more history about the UOAA and the beginning of support groups from their website. The UOAA website is ostomy.org. And they have a little section that tells sort of how ostomy support groups came to be. 
Interestingly, the first record of a mutual aid kind of meeting for patients with ostomies occurred in 1949 when four World War II veterans met in a VA hospital in Pennsylvania. There were, however, other groups that were forming around this same time, and most of them were formed in centers where ostomy surgery was being performed at that time. Ostomy surgery was a complex surgery, often a lengthy surgery, and it was done primarily in major medical centers and only certain locations around the U.S. And most of the support groups were originated with patients who had progressive surgeons and nurses who were interested in the rehabilitation and the long-term lifestyle for people who had ostomy surgery. Now, the first known national organization was actually founded in Denmark in 1951. And as the number of local ostomy support groups grew in the U.S. and Canada, there was a meeting of delegates from 24 of those groups that met in Cleveland, Ohio in 1962. And the United Ostomy Association was formed at that point. You have to remember that around that same time and parallel to the UOA formation, the specialty for interstomal therapy, now known as wound ostomy incontinence nursing, was being developed. It started in 1958 with Dr. Rupert Turnbull at the Cleveland Clinic, where he was having ostomy patient teaching other ostomy patients. This later evolved to be nurses who had had ostomy surgery teaching ostomy patients, and even later still to just be specially trained nurses who focused on that rehabilitation of the ostomy patient. And we ended up requiring a Bachelor of Science of Nursing into the specialty, and the rest is sort of history. That is a great background into where WC nurses got involved with this. As we're looking at groups, I remember when I first came out of school, I joined the local chapter and they invited us new WC nurses to attend their meetings, which were patient-led. And I think as a new WC nurse, it was a great experience for me. But over the years now, we, we have all these different types of groups here. Could you talk about how other groups may have evolved and what are some of the different types we might be looking at now. Absolutely. I agree, Vashti, with you that it is a great opportunity for new WOC nurses who are going to focus in ostomy care to learn even more from a firsthand basis from patients. I can't tell you how many things I picked up along the way from the people I saw at the ostomy support group when they shared about how they handle certain experiences or certain situations in life. And that really informed my practice going forward. And many times I say, well, I'm not really sure. I don't live with an ostomy, but I know people who do. And they shared with me that this is how they might handle a certain situation. So it's very valuable to get involved with a support group in your area if that's possible and to attend their meetings, not even as an expert necessarily, because oftentimes they had the answers. But ostomy support groups have really evolved a lot over time. A lot of them have always been sort of loosely similar in structure, but all of it depends on the individuals that are involved and sort of the history that's being followed. My group started way long time ago under the guidelines for the UOA, and they followed the formats for that. But now those meetings often were at a particular place in time. They oftentimes had a very strict agenda. They usually had some type of sharing time within the group where people would share with the rest of the group what type of surgery they had and a little bit about their experience. 
They also most often had an educational component to try to further the knowledge base for patients living with a stoma and to answer questions for people that were relatively new to it. And then they most of the time included some time where people could get together sort of one-on-one and sort of match up to the type of stoma. The group I worked with had all three types of primary stomas, urostomy, colostomy, and ileostomy. And sometimes it would be a little confusing when we talked in the larger group that whether this information actually applies to me with my particular ostomy. And what they found helpful was for one patient to talk to one other person and they both had had an ileostomy or they both had had a urostomy so that they made sure they were talking about the same issues. And that's sort of the format for that group that I've been a part of for such a long time. A lot of groups, though, don't bother to have an educational component necessarily, and they mainly just do sharing of asking questions of each other, sharing concerns, answering issues, and trying to inform just one-on-one people who are new to their group. And sometimes these are more common in groups that don't have any kind of healthcare professionals involved. There's also a lot of different ways that WOC nurses can be involved. There are situations where there are WOC nurse-led groups where the WOC nurse is the person who organizes the event and gets the program started and determines the flow of the meeting and really runs the show. Um, Those have been very successful, and many hospitals sponsor that kind of event. They use it almost as a continuing education opportunity, and hospitals are not hesitant to support these types of events. They see it as an enhancement and enrichment activity for their patients, and it keeps them more loyal to the brand, if you will, when you can invite people back to the institution or at least be sponsored in some way by the hospital. So, It really just depends, and what it ends up doing is getting together patients who've had similar surgical experiences. There are some centers that offer groups that revolve around the diagnosis more so than ostomy. There may be a group for rectal cancer patients, or there may be one for bladder cancer, or for patients with IBD. There are also those disease-specific entities out there that offer support groups for the disease itself and really don't focus on the ostomy part. And those are good groups to let know about any ostomy support group because oftentimes those patients do come to have surgery and they might be looking for a group more specific about the ostomy at that point of their disease process. A lot of times those types of things can be helpful for patients who know that surgery is in their future but it may or may not really be an imminent surgery. So I think of the IBD patients oftentimes that they begin to hear that a surgery may be in your future. And some of them want to investigate all they can know about that as early on as they possibly can. So they're mentally prepared for that type of surgery. Some people are not information seekers though, and they'll many times not be people who want to show up at a group, but we'll talk about those people a little bit later. The group meetings as such have certainly evolved because of the busyness of life. We all have a million things going on in our lives and our patients do too. They've got children who are in school. Maybe they've got a busy career. Maybe they've got elderly parents they're taking care of. Maybe they are elderly at this point, but they still have a lot of activities going on in their lives. And so that has really evolved into how many people attend group meetings or can keep a schedule on a particular night. And we've noticed with our group that a particular night is not always convenient for every single person that wants to even attend. 
Also, technology has really helped us a lot. Certainly, this recent pandemic forced us into looking at alternate ways of meeting. And we are having to use any and all types of virtual type of means to have a meeting. The group I've been involved with has become quite astute at using Zoom. And the good side of that has been that we found that it broadened our reach, making it possible for us to reach a wider range of people from a much larger geographic area than our traditional meetings did. It also allows us to hear from experts in various aspects of osteomy-related care and really enriching the quality and the variety of the programs that we were able to provide. We tapped into some of our vendor support people, and they may live in another part of the United States, and it was much more convenient for them to join us on Zoom. We heard a, a lesson about the FOW and the Friends of Ostomates Worldwide and how we can support that group. So we heard from people from California, and I'm in North Carolina, so we were all across the whole United States with our speakers now with our group. Our group has actually chosen to stick with an online format often because of concerns about health risk to the group. Many of them have sort of fragile health, either because of age or other comorbid conditions, chemotherapy treatments, immunotherapy treatments for some of the Crohn's patients. And really, we recognize that we could reach more people in this format. And so we've chosen to stick with it, even though now we could go back to in-person. And we are going to probably have some in-person social type of events not so much our formal meeting every single month or every other month, but we'll do that several times during the year. There are a lot of sources for support. If you use support in the general nature, support has been well documented, but support can come in the form of more education to the patient to fill in gaps of knowledge and not be so much of a sharing experience. And so we see a lot of different formats now. One example that I've found, and I haven't really been involved with this group or any of the groups that I found here, but there are many, many Facebook groups that exist to provide education and support. And even though I haven't been involved with any of them, I did look at the list of them and they are quite the range. There's quite a variety and they're arranged in different ways. Some are very, very large with over 20,000 members. There's one called the Real Ostomy Support Group. There's also one called Stoma and Ostomy Support Group. There are also ones that are very specific. There's a Women's Urostomy Support Group. And then also a Double Baggers Ostomy Support Group for people who have two types of stomas. Some are based on their location. So there's one for the Central Mass Group in Massachusetts. There's also Ostomy Canada Society. So most of these are listed as private groups. So you would ask to join, but they're still very easy to join. And I don't think people are turned away by these groups if people reach out. Many of them do have a caveat that says if you have a blank Facebook account, they're not going to let you in that way. They really want to make sure they're not being scammed. But again, they're easy to join and they meet certainly a need and offer a variety of times to reach out and might possibly connect with individuals that way. That is great. There are so many options for people now, so many choices. And as a WC nurse, it's kind of nice to work with some of these different groups or to spend time maybe doing some education for them. Because like you said, we do learn from the members of these groups as well. And that kind of enhances practice. I tend to do a disease-specific model 
And we've evolved into more of the virtual, but we're always checking in and changing and evaluating the needs of the group because things change over time. Those are great points. There's so many resources. As an expert, an ostomy expert, when you're meeting with new ostomates or persons or whatnot, any particular suggestions or thoughts or when you direct people to these groups or does it even matter? Well, one other thing that I thought of as you were talking there, there are other alternatives for support. Many times I think that people look for this kind of support when they have an unmet need. That's really their motivation for seeking out support in some way, shape, or form. So there are unmet needs that are there, and they might be informational things. They might be a social thing. They are trying to gain confidence in getting out and going again. Or it may really be a psychological kind of situation. And one of the things that I like to highlight that is a form of support, but not in the traditional group meeting kind of situation, are those industry-sponsored type of programs. They're accessible to patients anytime, any day. They usually have people to talk to. They also have online resources. Most of our major ostomy manufacturers in addition to several of the larger distributors of ostomy products, offer these online and on the phone type of opportunities. And they let patients speak to a person. Sometimes it's a product specialist. Sometimes it might be a WOC nurse that works for them or other kind of trained ostomy nurse. But anyway, they give access to information. There's also on those sites a myriad of videos and print pieces and instructional pieces on these support sites. And there have been several articles published in JWCN recently that looked at the effectiveness of patients who participate in this type of program. They're often referred to as a post-discharge patient support program as a generic topic in the ostomy manufacturer areas. And they are all working hard to meet the needs for those patients. The studies that have been published, there have been a couple at least, that have found that patients who participated in programs like this were less likely to require readmissions within that first month after surgery and were less likely to have ER visits and readmissions after that first month. And it seems that, interestingly, the live interaction with the representative with the program is thought to be sort of that special sauce, if you will, that thing that really makes the difference. It's almost like the interaction serves as a validation and a reassurance and a simple tips kind of opportunity and that give patients a lot more confidence and abilities and less worry, which is what all of our patients have when they're brand new and going home and they may or may not have access to our WSC professional kind of help or even a home health nurse oftentimes. And these groups do fill that gap quite readily and quite successfully, it sounds like. I think on that one-on-one contact is really the part that does do almost the most good compared to even the group settings so that an ostomy visitor connection might be really important in addition to the access that they get to these online services. But you were asking about when people actually join the group or when it's good for them to reach out. And I don't think there's really a magic time for that to happen. I think that the person is going to seek out and join an ostomy support group when they 
they have that unmet need and they are looking for a source to meet that need that hasn't been met in some other way. Maybe they didn't get all the post-op teaching they needed in the hospital. Maybe they haven't had that support once they've gotten home. Maybe they don't have a caregiver that also feels and offers them much support. But it's very much an individual decision, I think, for when they want to reach out and when they might seek that help that they want. I think it's wonderful if they have enough time before they actually have surgery, if they have a chance to reach out at that point. But many times people are trying to put their lives in order to have a big surgery. There may or may not be a long window of time before the surgery actually comes up. There's a million things. There's disease issues on their mind. So the ostomy and that may not be top of mind prior to surgery. But there are patients that do look that way. Some people do go ahead and find out, join some of the groups or seek out the local ostomy support group, or maybe their surgeon refers them, or they ask about meeting somebody who's actually had this surgery before they ever undergo the surgery itself. I recently had a patient, I get, I just almost laugh every time I have this because it was so unusual to me knew she was going to have to have a colostomy. She was in the process of getting her pre-op radiation chemotherapy, her neoadjuvant therapy. And during that, she reached out to a couple of different Facebook groups, one for colostomy, one for rectal cancer patients. And she came to her pre-op visit with the most significant knowledge already on board and really impressive questions that just kind of shocked me and blew me out of the water. I was like, whoa, this is usually what I hear from my patients way post-op, not in this pre-op time. She had already been considering what her pouching options were, what brands were available, and which one she thought she might like better. She talked to somebody about colostomy irrigation. So she was very much mentally prepared to be very successful following this surgery. And it was just a joy to have someone come that way because usually I'm imparting a lot of information during that teaching session. And for her, it was more, let's talk about this and let's talk about your questions and this and that and explaining and clarifying a few things that she kind of got mixed up because she actually doesn't have a stoma yet and then moved on with sight marking. And it was a wonderful, lovely kind of a visit. Actually, that is so true. You mentioned there's the range of a person like that person who does a lot of pre-work compared with someone who waits until after or the person that may say to you, I don't do groups and they're just having a hard time adjusting to the ostomy. I'm glad you mentioned the one-on-one impact of that rather than getting lost in a group or the ostomy visitors and All these other options, you've mentioned all the apps, industry support, the ranges, the people that organize their own groups. I think we're seeing a lot of different variations. And what about other things like different chronological age or gender or any other subgroups or so? What's your experience with that? The group I work with is all ages and all types of surgery. But I do know that in larger, more metropolitan areas, in some of the online groups, they are very specific with gender. Some of them are very structured and have only certain meeting times. Other people are much more open and sharing and willing to be called. If there's an issue that comes up, call right away. So a lot of people that run these support groups and that are involved in this support are available almost around the clock. 
And patients, I find, attend support groups and participate in support groups for a while, and then some of them stop attending, or they know this group exists, but they've got other busy things in life to take care of, and they don't really attend very regularly. Many of them will come back if something changes. You know, they decide they might want different supplies and they know that, well, this group, when they meet once a year or a few times a year, they hear about new products. So maybe I'm shopping for a new product. So I'm going to go back to that group and see what other people are using right now. So I've had long term, you know, having done this for so many years, I have patients that are 40 years out from their ostomy. So that's a long time to live with it. And things do change. I'm always thankful for my core group that kind of keeps the organization going. And those are people who want to give back or they always want to be there to help the next person. Not everybody joins a group and sticks with it quite that faithfully. There are people who just don't do groups and they will tell you that up front. I have to certainly respect anybody's opinion that the group just isn't for me. That's what you hear from people. Oh, I don't kind of do that group thing. I'm not going to go into a group and talk. A lot of people believe that all of the groups are going to be this. You've got to spill your guts, kind of literally you have to share your story in more detail. And, And most groups I find don't really put people on the spot like that. And I try to reassure patients that that won't necessarily be the case. And you can always just find to answer because it's a very casual kind of discussion. Sometimes people might go to a group online now because I think online allows you just a little bit more anonymity. Not that your name's not known, but you don't have to be in full view. You're just your face is showing. Whatever's going on with you isn't so transparent as it is when you go to a live in person. And we really haven't talked much about the trained ostomy visitor, but these people are who I tap into for the non-group participant type patient who says, no, I don't do groups. Having somebody do that one-on-one contact with them makes really a lot of sense and often meets the needs better than the group might initially. And then as people get more comfortable, they may come and join the group later on once they understand kind of more of what it's about and how they might even be of help. Because a lot of times once people are helped by something, then they want to turn around and do something for somebody else coming along behind them. Years ago, the UOA developed a program for chapters to train individual members to be a little bit more professional in meeting with new patients. And so whether they were talking to people who were scheduled for surgery or they were recovering, it was a way to sort of teach these lay people a little bit about the basic anatomy and physiology of ostomy surgery, sort of help them prepare with some active listening techniques when you're talking to somebody to how not just share your story and overwhelm them with what went on with you, but to be willing to listen to their story. Because so many times that listening is the key thing for that person who's trying to recover or who's mentally preparing to undergo surgery. So it gave them some guidelines for like proper behavior during the visit, maybe how much is good sharing versus too much sharing. And then it gave, it allowed people to have some confidence that this person, when they come in, they're going to be a good visitor versus somebody that just overwhelms the person and really is not that helpful to it. Unfortunately, those types of visits have fallen by the wayside quite a bit with length of stay being so short. You know, they used to take place in the hospital back in my early days. Now our length of stay is so short, there's no time for that. The patient isn't awake, alert, and feeling well enough to even have any kind of visitor. And with HIPAA rules, we have a hard time passing along that information unless the patient agrees to it. 
But I still think that in many ways that individual won. And now I'm afraid that many times it takes the patient to say, I really want to talk to somebody who had the surgery. You've given me got good information, but you don't live with this every day. And I have to say, you're absolutely right. We'll turn you over to somebody who has been there, who has walked a mile in your shoes, so to speak. And that sometimes is more of the value for the patient, for sure. Some physicians actually pick sort of their choice patient who's done well with the surgery and moving on with life. And many times they would use those patients as a visitor. Unfortunately, with that, it doesn't usually, unless that person's already in a support group somehow, it doesn't really connect them to other support, but certainly does fill that gap in need. Oh, those are great points. There's nothing like a person who's having difficulty wrapping their head around the fact that they're having ostomy surgery or they've all had ostomy surgery and how they're going to adapt to life. I know in one of my groups years ago, there were two guys there that were having such a difficult time. And it was the women in the group that stood up, showed off their pouches and talked about all the things that they were doing. Life goes on. And both of the guys said, you know what, if they could do it, I can do it. And they, in turn, what you pointed out, a lot of patients will say to us, someone help me, someone help me to wrap my head around this. I want to give back or at some point as well. So there's the continuity in some of these groups. That's right. That's exactly right. Say we've got some new WC nurses who are listening who might think, oh, they might want to get me involved. Are there any suggestions in terms of where they should start or if they're going to start their own group or if they're going to work with a social worker, if they're going to co-facilitate, any tips or hints that you have? Absolutely. There are certainly opportunities if you are thinking about opening or starting your own support group in your area. There was a great JWCN article from 2010. Now, that sounds like a long time ago, but I believe it to be still a very useful article. Heidi Cross and her colleague described all the steps that were involved and the benefits that are derived from offering a support group in your hospital. They started one and then stuck with it. Her colleague actually stuck with it for about 30 years. And she really talked about how WOC nurses are really in an ideal position to help sponsor a regular support group. In my state, I know of at least two or three different groups that have been formed. They came and saw kind of what we did and the group I was involved with, and that took that home to a local group and were able to be very successful. I work in a very referral area, so we see patients from all over, and it's been great to know that, okay, you might be from an area three hours away, and you're welcome to join our virtual group, but there's an in-person group in your area that is me and here's the person's contact and here's the information or their website. A lot of them do have maintained websites as well. So it's easy to find people that way. Buddying up with somebody so all the responsibility doesn't fall on one person is good. But this article highlighted how it really isn't all that much work. You already have a relationship with some patients to let them know about it. And then as you follow patients along, especially if you have any kind of outpatient follow-up or even ongoing follow-up through a physician group, it allows you to tap into those people who are out a little bit from the surgery and have a little bit different perspective than those fresh post-op kind of patients. But Heidi and her colleague really related exactly how much and what an impact they had on that patient population by doing their support group that was sponsored in the hospital. 
find out if there's one going on or join in and be just a kind of silent observer on some of the online groups. That's another way to do it. You can let people know that you're a WOC nurse or you can kind of be there in sort of anonymity for a little bit, I believe, as long as you let them know you're interested in ostomy care. Then there's ways to get involved where you're not the main focus of the group. And so I think there are a lot of different ways that WOC nurses can plug in and really offer support in this particular area and give that ongoing support to our patients. I feel like so many times, and my team refers to it in some of our teaching as a once and done, the people with such a short length of stay that you know they don't get all the information they need and they may or may not get home health. And home health in our area, some people have strong WOC nursing support, others not so much. So information is just missing there. And I think follow up and being involved in something like that, whether it's an online group or there's also some support groups for younger people. We haven't talked a lot about pediatric patients, but kids do still get ostomies as well. And there are some great pediatric resources. I would look to the ostomy.org website, the UOAA website, because they have some pediatric focused support groups and online groups that meet and talk about issues related to peds. It's hard unless you're in a super large metropolitan area to have physical contact with that many different patients. I know at Duke, where I work, our referral places are hours away. And so it was not reasonable to have a local support group. But now with online opportunities, that certainly exists. And there is the youth rally that happens. It is not affiliated, I don't think, right now with UOAA directly, but it's an organization that is run and offers camp opportunities for children with ostomies and other types of diversions. And so that's another opportunity. You can look at Youth Rally, search for the ostomy youth rally, and that would give you some information about another opportunity possibly for support. And if you like to be hands-on with that, also the UOAA has a convention every other year. This year it was held just in August in Houston, and they offer ostomy clinics during that conference. So people that come to the meeting and who might want their ostomy checked, maybe they don't have that resource locally, then you can participate in that if that UOAA meeting is coming to your area. So that's another area to look into, find out if you want to volunteer. They also love to have speakers at the UOAA convention that are WOC nurses to speak to some of the issues for ostomy patients there. So that meeting, like I said, it's every other year. So now it will be in 25, I guess, the next one. But information about that would be on that UOAA website of ostomy.org. There is such a great opportunity for every WC nurse working with ostomy patients to be out there, get involved. Even things like some of the walks and fundraisers, you get to meet people and make the connections, share the resources. There's just so much out there. And for our patients, it's needed. And when they're ready, or if they want to utilize these resources. You have raised a lot of good voices and information and all the options that people have available now. I think we covered a lot of topics. Is there anything else that you want to add on this subject today, Stephanie? Well, I'll just throw in a little bit about the literature about ostomy support groups. You know, over the years, there have been multiple, multiple studies that have demonstrated the benefits of attending an organized support group, whether that's online or virtual or whatever, for a lot of different conditions, all types of things. 
I think about in my oncology background, breast and other particular cancers, burn victims often have a support group. Other chronic illnesses have support groups and support groups do offer that environment that sort of instills hope. It promotes understanding of the illness or the process, the surgical process it has been through and really kind of enables the person towards acceptance. And we think that by accepting the situation and moving along, that it improves the quality of life of these individuals. It allows people who attend to share that common experience, and it gives them that unique atmosphere of acceptance and a feeling of just being able to cope. It's like, I saw you doing well, and now I'm sure I can do well as as well as we move forward. And that mutual respect of what's going on, many times that advice from peers is very valuable and is oftentimes sometimes more readily accepted than the counseling from a health professional because they know that this person has not lived with this disorder and is not so involved and doesn't have the firsthand knowledge There are just so many things and benefits that have been demonstrated by utilizing the support services involved, whether that's informational with the online services offered by the manufacturers and that one-on-one contact with a representative that has knowledge about this situation, or whether that's following back up with the WOC nurses or getting involved with an organized group, either online or in person. I think it's just so valuable to our patients as they continue to rehabilitate and accept their situation and to be ready to move on and enjoy a full life despite this surgery that had to happen to them that in many instances saved their lives. Thank you for listening today and for asking me to participate in this. It's one of my favorite topics. Well done, Stephanie. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and this discussion today. And you know what? I talked about young WC nurses, but you got me thinking maybe some of us approaching retirement might want to get a little fresh involvement. (laughs) It is a good opportunity for that when you have a little more time on your hands, perhaps. I was thinking the same thing. I volunteered (laughs) now for the race that's going to be in my area. So later in career and later in life, sometimes you have a few less requirements and maybe it's easier to get involved and you have some experience and some expertise to share for sure. But it's certainly a learning opportunity for everybody involved. And I learn almost every meeting that I attend. I hear one more new little thing or a tidbit or or a recommendation. So it's always a good way to get new information to share. That is so true. We do learn from our patients, their tips, their hints, things that I would not think of. It's amazing. The feedback is very valuable. And I'm so glad there's so many different options and ways to support. And thanks for mentioning all these great resources and spending your time with us today. Thank you. That's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's wocn.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. <laughs>